as you're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 1, <clears throat> I, um, I was thinking as the young people were singing how I am hopeful and prayerful that the words they sang were true, that each one of them will have and has settled the question forever, and I believe for many of them that that is the case, that they have settled it uh, in their hearts that this is the way they want to go, and uh, we need to pray for our young people, because uh, we all know that we all face temptation, we all face um, hindrances, and our young people are vulnerable. In, um, thinking as, as about the series on Jonathan, um, I don't remember if I said it here, but at Redwood Camp, I felt like the Lord led me to preach that first service, uh, that first sermon um, over there at, at Redwood Camp about when Jonathan and his armor bearer go up against the garrison. And, and something that the Lord gave me at, for Redwood was that we should have someone that that we are training up, that it was a squire, that someone that we're helping fight spiritual battles. And I thought it was interesting in that passage that as Jonathan was slaying and fighting, his armor bearer was behind him and slaying behind him. And how important is it for us to uh, be in front, be in front of those that are younger in the faith, not just younger physically, but younger in the faith, they haven't fought the battles we have. They don't have uh, the um, same experience with the weapons of spiritual warfare that we do. And I, one of the things that I've really have come to do in the last oh, couple years is, is just, uh, when people ask me to pray for them, to just stop and pray for them right there. Because I believe that God wants us to stand in front of those that are struggling and isn't that how it is in war, is those that are struggling, the ones that are doing well, take the front? And uh, I want to do that. Second Samuel chapter 1, we're um, continuing this morning's message on lamenting and properly grieving. And I'm hopeful that no one here needs these messages. But I, I have a suspicion that the Lord has, has those reasons for why he led us this particular way. Um, and, and perhaps we'll, if we don't need them today, we may need them in the future. And so uh, lamenting is a part of life. It's a part of life. This morning, we, we've, gee, uh, we're using the word grieve. G is grant that... Um, you, there's been a loss. And secondly, is the R is release past hurts, and I is inventory past blessings. And uh, we're going to continue with the last uh, three letters, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Second Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, and David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and of Jonathan his son, and he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasser, the beauty of Israel slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, and lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor the fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is uh, vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. 
how are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle. O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, the weapons of war perished. Father, help us this evening as we endeavor to continue to talk about a subject that's difficult. Help us, Lord, to be a people that grieves well and that may you be glorified and honored in our lives. And may others see in the times of our sorrow that we hold to the one who is unchanging and who never fails. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Grief isn't easy to talk about. In fact, it's kind of you can know when something is, is uh, difficult to talk about when uh, we have so many euphemisms for them. You know, uh, bought the farm, kicked the can, passed away. I mean, we, we just have a, a, a little bit of uh, uncomfortableness with, with death and, and even other kinds of losses. It's difficult to talk about them. Loss of... Uh, uh, body part, being amputated, those kind of things. They're, they're not easy to have conversations about. And yet it's important for us to be a people who grieve together. You know, we've, we're hard on Job's friends, and, and probably rightly so. They, of course, they spoke wrongly of God and of, of Job. But, but one of the things that, that they did well is that for seven days, they just grieved with Job. And they didn't say a word. And if they, would have, if they would have just stopped right there, that would have been wonderful. And you know there's a lot of times that if we'd, have, we'd stopped before we opened up our mouth, we'd be in good shape. And too many of us have painful memories of opening our mouths and inserting the foot way, way harder than we intended. As we talked about grief, granting that we've had this, this difficulty, granting that we've suffered a loss, and, and, and just acknowledging that. And, and then, of course, you know, releasing past hurts and, and not dwelling there, and then, but also taking inventory of, of our past blessings, an inventory of, of the joy that whatever we've lost, that, that we have some joy, that God has blessed us. And now... The first E is that we express our grief openly or publicly. One of the things that strikes me about this is David, who is a macho man. I mean, there is not a man here that wants to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with David. There's not a man here that would want to even probably arm wrestle him. I mean, we're talking about a macho, macho man. A man who has fought numerous battles. I, I don't even know how many battles Jonathan or, or that David ever fought in. And yet, here he is. He's lamenting. He's grieving. His people know it. Those that had followed him have, uh, can hear him uh, wailing out this song that he's written in Saul and Jonathan's memory. In fact, he, John, uh, David wants this lament to be so public that it requires it to be published and for the young people to learn this lament. It's written in the book of Jasher. They want, he, it was so important. This, our, our young people need to be educated in the lament of Saul and Jonathan. Doesn't that strike you? It is, how many songs are required to be taught in school? The ABC song? Maybe our national anthem? I don't even know if they require that anymore. Really, there aren't very many songs that are required to be learned in, in school. And you think about even in church, what are the songs we require our children to learn? 
And I don't know if we would call it require, but, but man, we want our children to come out with Jesus loves me and, and uh, Jesus loves the little children, at least those two. David is so broken, and yet he doesn't weep privately. He says, I want the young people to learn this song. We've talked throughout this morning, really, about this. Our grief needs to be public. Private grief rarely gets worked through very well. See, when we're going through the grieving process and we're doing it by ourselves, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to reflect on all the positive things. It's why we have a funeral, because this person's saying a memory, and this person's saying a memory, and suddenly we're, you know, especially at the viewing, I'm thinking about how people are just sharing these stories, and oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That Man, that was hilarious. Oh, you're right, no one ever made apple dumplings like she made. And I mean, I went to a funeral one time, and I tell you what, I was left disappointed I never got that lady's cooking. I mean, they kept talking about our good food, and when I'd come to be pastor there, she was already in the nursing home. She'd hung up her apron for the last time, and I never got any, and I was feeling ripped off. That is a good thing. As they grieve that they would never get whatever it is that she made, her homemade bread, her rolls, her soup, her fried chicken, whatever it is. That is, that is something worth grieving. We pastored a church where we had two ladies that sang and, and uh, they had a song that had been written by the founding pastor of that church. And I grieve, I still grieve, that I'll never hear that song again. One of the ladies has gone on to heaven and, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing it in heaven but it was a song about dwelling in the upper room. And it's just, and, and that's about all I can remember about, about that song. And, and you know, I, it's a wonderful thing to think about, you know, that, that the people who have, that have had an influence on our lives, people that have been a blessing to us. And for us to be able to share openly. I think that if we're going to share openly, though, we have to be trustworthy. If I'm going to share a grief, I have to have an idea that you're not going to tell me that my grief isn't important. If I'm going to share my grief, I'm hoping that you're going to grieve with me. I'm, wanting, I'm inviting you. When I share with you my grief, I'm inviting you into my sorrow. And you know what? That's uncomfortable for a lot of us. A lot of us, we don't like to feel sorrow. We don't like to lament. We don't like to feel bad. And a lot of times, the thing that we want to do is just hurry up and get out of it. And often we'll hear, well, I don't know what to say. I love what the Jewish people's thing was. They didn't say anything. They just sit there and listen. I've been a counselor. I have my education in that. And do you know what I've learned? There isn't anything to say. It was a Mother's Day a few years back. We'd had the service. We'd actually dedicated two children to the Lord that morning. I had, we had had our meal. We'd given the gifts to my wife. I had finally going to get a few minutes of a nap. I sat down on the bed, probably to take off my shoes or something, and the phone rang. I answered the phone, and on the other line was a lady from another state. She was the daughter of, of a couple that attended my church, and she told me that her sister had passed away just a few moments ago. And she said, my parents are over at my brother's house, 
And she said, I just can't tell them over the phone. Would you go over there as they're celebrating Mother's Day meal together? Would you go over there and let them know that one of their children has gone home to heaven? I consented to do that. Got in my vehicle, made the 15-minute drive to his place. The whole time I'm praying and asking the Lord for wisdom of words to say. I pull into the driveway. They're all excited to see me. They're having dessert. None of them, none of them ever thought, why is the pastor showing up unexpectedly on Mother's Day at a family gathering? And I had to let them know that their daughter had went to heaven and their sister and their aunt and all those that were there. And I just sat at the table as they cried. I don't believe that I really said anything the whole time that after telling them that, that Robin had went to heaven. I had to leave. We had the evening service. Went Went to the, and we had the evening service. I had to let our people know, preached a message about God caring about in our grief. And I went back over to the, to the, fam, to the house. A brother, another son of theirs had come in, and we just sat and we just grieved. Sometimes they had a story to tell. But I don't remember anything I ever said. I didn't say anything profound, but I didn't have to fix it. I just needed to be there in the midst of the hurting. And I know that goes against everything inside of us. In our culture, we want, to, we want everything to be okay and we want it that way quickly. We solve our problems quickly. And we have a hard time just being there in the presence of sorrow and weeping and not being in a hurry to start laughing and to be joyous again. And that's why we say we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And really, it's just sit there and just be. Just be present in the midst of it. Be sad with them. And do you know as you learn to do that, you know what happens? When you're in your times of sorrow and your times of grief, they remember and they, they join you when you're going through that hard time. It's not about fixing. It's about being present together. And one of the hardest things for me as pastor is when I find out after the fact that people have gone through great losses and great difficulties and they didn't invite me in to, to sorrow with them. I always feel so badly about that. You're so busy. You're so this. I never want to be so busy. I don't want to ever be so caught up that I cannot be present in your lamentation. And I'm, I, I want us to be a church. I want us to be a people that we are comfortable crying together. That we're comfortable being honest about the wounds that we're experiencing. Maybe we can't be with everyone. Sometimes it's not appropriate to be public with our loss, public with our sorrow. And when I say public, I mean everyone. But I'm, I'm trustful that there's two or three or, or five. Maybe it's the ladies, if it's a lady who's going through something, or, or the men for the men, or maybe it's the young people able to share in their youth class with each other. And it does, however the case is, but I, I hope that there's no one here that says, I have no one to grieve with me. I have no one to sorrow with me. I have no one to tell what, what I'm going through. 
No one understands. And you know, we, don't, we might not understand. There's a lot of physical ailments I've not gone through. There's some relationships that, have been, that are broken that I haven't had those relationships broken. I, I may not have experienced exactly what you've experienced, but I don't have to know what you're going through. I just have to be present. We're, we've gotten this idea that unless you've been through it before that you can't sorrow with us. And I think, wow. Do you, you do realize that the things that, the same griefs affect us differently. When, when a, a young person loses their parent, I don't say to them, I know exactly what you're going through. I went through the same thing. I don't know exactly what they're going through. Their life's different. Their experiences are different. I can't know exactly what they went, are going through, even though I have a similar experience. I don't need to say I know exactly. I can say I've been, that I know something of what they're going through, that I've experienced a loss like they are going through. But their experience and my experiences are our own. We, we don't have to have this perfect knowledge of grief and sorrow in order to just weep with them. And we don't need to just tell people that have the same griefs that we do. But what griefs are we not allowed to share? I told you this morning about our secondary infertility and how that was so difficult and so painful for us. The loss of an unborn child is one that sometimes, you know, it, it amazes me that couples will keep their pregnancy secret because if they lose the baby, they don't want anyone to grieve with them. And I think, how awful. I had a friend, that, a close friend, who they did that. They, they kept the pregnancy secret. They had lost one before, and, and then they kept it secret and didn't even tell me until they'd gotten past the danger place. And I thought, we're close friends. You couldn't trust me with that potential grief? Did I not do a good job the first time? And that probably had nothing to do with me. It probably had to do with, oftentimes, we have just gotten to this place where we can't grieve publicly. We think all of our grieving has to be done privately. I think it was last Sunday night after church. My wife said, I want to I read you something. I like to be read to. <laughs> I usually like stories, but she wanted to read me something else. It was an article. And I told her she should do it, uh, she should have a Wednesday night and just do it, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. So you all have a conversation with her and tell her she needs to walk in the light of that. But, uh, <laughs> but here's what it was. It was the cat, rules of the casserole. I didn't know casseroles had rules. Did you know casseroles have rules? This is what she said. Lady, this was, I forget the author's name. I don't even know if Trisha told me, but this is what she said. She said in her church, they have a freezer. And in that freezer, the ladies make casseroles and they freeze them. And whenever anyone is going through a surgery or, or going through a hard time, the church already has these casseroles at the ready and they take these casseroles and they, and they give them in the midst of difficult times. We do a similar thing. We don't have it in our freezer here. But when someone's going through a hard time, when, when my wife went through surgery, people brought things in, and we appreciate it. It's a blessing. But this church had the, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but they, had, they kept the freezer on facility, and they just had them at the ready. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Not saying we should, just saying it's a good idea. But anyways, this is what she said. She said that she went through a bitter, painful divorce that she didn't want. And she got no casseroles. 
No one came over to visit. Nobody grieved with her. And she said she was even suicidal because this was a relationship that was broken, that she didn't want it to be broken, but it was. And no one would journey with her because they thought just by being present with her, by giving her a casserole, that they were siding with her on the divorce. And so they stayed out, no casseroles, no support, while she grieved by herself, suicidal by herself. She said sometime later, she'd gotten through, through this, she'd gone through the grieving process, she's doing better, and sometime later, she developed breast cancer. And the people came, and they brought their frozen casseroles, and this is what she said, I didn't even need the casseroles then. She said, I wasn't suicidal. I, had, I was in a good place. I had surrendered this to the Lord. She said, I didn't have any problem. Uh, I didn't have, really have a need for the casseroles. But the people could bring me casseroles for breast cancer, but they couldn't bring it to me in my grief for, over a broken marriage. And I thought, wow. I wonder if we would pass that test. I wonder if we have unwritten rules about the casseroles. Are there griefs that we can't share publicly? There's some that are inappropriate. Some that we should only talk with a few close friends. But we should never, ever grieve by ourselves. And we need to be a church where everyone has someone. Everyone has someone. I believe it was in the army. The army rangers. I think I was reading it earlier this week or last week. Do you know what the very first command, the very first thing that they are told that they have to get? They have to get a buddy. They have to get someone that they're responsible for and they're responsible for them. And I think, as Christians, we need to be in the same place. We are in a spiritual warfare, and we have an enemy that is seeking to destroy us. And we can sing like our young people did, that it's settled forever, but if we become isolated from, from, the, uh, from those of, that care about us and will defend us, we become vulnerable to the enemy. And I know that no, though no, none go with me, still I will follow. I know very few people that have followed through with that. It's good to sing. It's good to have that determination. But I haven't seen very many that have been able to keep it by themselves. And we need each other. We need a, a, a spiritual buddy. We need someone that no matter how embarrassing it is, no matter how private it is, that we know that we can go to them and they will grieve with us and they will pray with us and we can trust them that they're going to not tell everyone. What's the Navy say? Loose lips sink ships. Spiritually speaking, there's some souls that have been sunk. They're spiritually shipwrecked because of loose lips. We have confidence to share. And can we share publicly? Again, that word publicly, I, I mean within some sense. There's some things that, that you may not want to share with everyone. But someone, someone you know will pray for you. Someone will say, stand behind me while I raise my shield of faith. While your faith is weak, my shield of faith will protect us both. I will defend you until you're able to get back on your feet. That's what this is supposed to be about. It's why we have church. It's not so that we can just do our, our duty three times a week. It's, it's so that we can defend each other in spiritual battle and we can provoke each other to good works. Not provoke each other to wrath, but the good works. 
express our grief openly. V, visualize God at work. You know that God wants to do something good with your grief? It's amazing to me that how we often, we focus so much on what God takes and we forget how often God takes what he's taken and replaces it with something better. There's a story I heard some time ago of a little girl who for her birthday had gotten some fake pearls, little toy plastic beads. And she loved her pearls, and she wore them all the time, and she just, she just thought they were something special. And her dad said to her one night as he kissed her goodnight, Honey, can I have your pearls? She says, Daddy, I love you, but you can't have my pearls. I love my pearls. And, she, and he said, That's all right, honey. You go to bed. She lo- love you, and, and it's no problem. And the next night, He's tucking her into bed, kisses her goodnight, says, Honey, can I, can I, Daddy, have your pearls? And she says, Oh, no, Daddy. These are my pearls. Love my pearls. I love you, Daddy. I, I, I can't give you my pearls. And Dad kept this up night after night. And finally, one evening, with tears in her eyes, she handed her pearls over to her dad without him even asking. She said, Daddy, I love you more than I love my pearls. And his, her dad reached into his pocket and he pulled out a genuine pearl necklace and gave it to her instead. And I believe that's what God does with us. Oftentimes he says to us, Son, daughter, honey, can I have this trinket that you're holding on to? Can I have your will? Can, can, will you surrender this in your life? Will, will you give this to me? Brother Vaughn sang about that this morning in our stubborn will. We cling on to it. God, you can't have it. God, I can't trust you with, with my pearls. I can't trust you with my plastic pearls. They don't feel plastic to us. They feel very real. Our money, our bank accounts, our, our families, our, our location where we live, our, our, uh, our jobs and our family and, and all these things that we cling to and, and they're real because they're in this life and they, we just hold on to them. And God keeps saying to us as he calls us into holiness, can I have them? Can I have your family? Can I have your uh, uh, whatever it is that, that is so important that hangs you up? It's why the old timers call it death route because it is a grieving process. As God puts his finger on it and he says, I want this. And your whole being screams, I can't give it to God. And yet that we... As we're praying and, and, and we hear the Old Testament, uh, old timers, uh, those that have gotten it say, it's worth it. It's worth it. How can it be worth it? God uses our grief in the same way. God says, I know that that person was close to you. And I know that person, you love that person. I know that it's hard for you to lose your health. I, I know that it's hard for you to have this relationship broken. I know it's hard for you. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to use this for my glory. And I'm going to use this for your benefit. And do you know what? In this grieving process... At the beginning of it, it's hard to believe that. And we will say, even say, I don't know how any good can come of this. I don't know how God can do anything with this. But when we get to the other side of it, oftentimes we say, I cannot believe what God was able to do. I can't believe how he did that. Now, I'll be honest, there's some things I, I still don't understand. There's some whys that I don't have answers to. 
There's some, there's some question marks that I have no answers. I have no periods to replace those question marks with. But I have to believe. I have to believe that, that God in heaven looked down. And when he allowed that sorrow and that hurt and that loss in my life, that he said, this is going to be a blessing. What if our greatest sorrows, what if our greatest setbacks, what if our greatest hurts were really God's best blessings for us? What if the thing that haunts you right now, what if that thing that you wish that you could go back in time and erase it, what if when you show up uh, before the throne, the Lord says, this was the greatest blessing I had for you. And I want to show you now that we're on the other side. Now that we can look back, I want to show you how I use this to be an incredible blessing through your entire life. Since that tragedy, since that difficulty, I want to show you all the things, all the blessings that came because I allowed this in your life. Wouldn't that change our perspective? If we could just get a hold of that truth. Doesn't the Bible tell us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord? Do not we don't we believe that? Do we really believe that? I'll tell you at the beginning of the grief, I don't know that I do. I want to believe it. And might I recommend just if you're help, sitting with someone who's grieving, that might not be the time to bring that verse up. I had a retired pastor that I, that I used to pastor, and he told me this. He said, one of the, he said, I used to tell people that as I'd visit them in the hospital, he said, then I got a heart attack and someone said it to me and I didn't like it very much. <laughs> he said, I quit saying that to people when I visit them in the hospital now. At the beginning... Remember, this is six steps. They, we're taking you through a process. You first had to acknowledge it. You had to release those hurts, those past hurts. And then you had to acknowledge the, the blessings, take an inventory of the blessings. And then you begin to maybe share with some others and have some conversations and be open with your grief. And now, after you've got been open, and, and now that you've, that you've gotten through some of these steps, now you can begin to visualize. And maybe you can say, Lord, I may not know why you allowed this, but how can you use this in my life? How can I have an attitude change? How can I have a perspective change so that this sorrow and this loss becomes a blessing in my life? How can this be turned around for glory and for goodness and blessing? Wow. When our why becomes a how question. We begin to visualize this is what God's going to do. David knew that his running days were over. Soon he'd be crowned king. Judah would accept him. There'd be a civil war. But it, the running was over. And soon, God's promises were going to be fulfilled. But it took the loss of Jonathan and Saul. Even in the midst of his grief, David understood that there was a blessing coming. I believe that with all my heart tonight. I, I stand here full confidence as I tell you that the sorrows that you experience, God's holding on to a blessing that he's wanting to pour out on you just as soon as you turn your cup up and ready to receive it. But as long as you keep your cup upside down, he has to hold on to the blessing. And sometimes, even while our cup's upside down, he pours it out and he gets it all over us anyways. And I thank God that he does. I thank God that he does. Because sometimes I'm too foolish to realize that the hand, though his left hand takes away, his right hand gives so much greater. 
the final E is engage in life as soon as possible. Get back to normal. I don't have a chart for you. I'm not saying that you have this grief and it takes three days and this grief and you get a year. It's, it's different. It's really too bad that our employers give us, they limit us on, you get this many days for, for grief and bereavement. Yes, in three days I'm going to be over that loss. Thank you, boss. I appreciate it. I understand that business is to run. But I think that it seeps into our culture, this idea, you get three days to grieve. You get, you get so long to, to say your goodbyes and, and now get back on your feet. But you know what else happens? Some people just get stuck and they never get back. I believe his name is Paul Lawrence Dunbar. In the late 1800s, he became uh, noted for being the very first African-American poet to get national recognition. As I understand it, that his home in, in Dayton, Ohio is still open. You can visit it. So if those that go to IHC, you can visit it if you are interested. He was, a, he was a great poet, a great intellect, great talent. Hard, hard in the late 1800s for an African-American poet to get national attention. It's the first one in the United States. Paul died. And his mother left his bedroom just the way it was. She wanted it to be a shrine to him and didn't want anything to be touched or moved. Paul had a poem, his final poem that he had written. It was on a pad of paper. And after his mother passed, the friends came into the home, went into the bedroom. In order to retrieve that final poem, perhaps to publish it, to let the world be able to see this last poem of this great author, but the sun had bleached the ink and the words were lost forever because mom couldn't move on. I don't want to be hard on her. I've never lost a child. I hope I never do. But it's easy to get stuck. It's easy to just let life go on without us while we grieve. And for a season, that's okay. For a season, that needs to happen. Depending on the severity of the loss, it may take a while. As you know, sometimes we get judgy about that. We get judgy because someone gets, goes too quick. And we've seen that. And sometimes they have been too quick. Marriages that have taken place after the death of a spouse that too quick, and it was foolish, and they regretted it. But other times we just, and they get engaged before, before they're ready, shall I say. They, they, get, they, they get back into life before they've had a chance to properly go through the grieving process. Yet others, they just stay hold up. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that, it, that every person that loses a loved one has to go out and get married eventually. I, I don't, I'm not saying, suggesting that. But I'm saying that there needs to be a return to life. So we don't get stuck in one spot. I didn't read it, but if you had gone on, if we had gone on to the second chapter in verse 1, it says these words, And it came to pass that David inquired of the Lord, 
whether they, he should go to Judah. And the Lord said, go. And he said, well, where, where should I go? And, and the Lord says to Hebron. See, it, after a season, I don't know how long, but it came to pass. There came a certain time after David has lamented for Jonathan and for Saul that he says, you know what? It's time for me to do what God's called me to do. I've been anointed king. And so he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, is it time for me? Are we ready for, for us to take the next step? And the Lord says it is. The Lord doesn't want his people to get stuck. It's not his plan for us. He doesn't want us to get to the place where we're not willing to continue the mission that he's given us. I believe that as long as we have life, that there's a, something that we can do. Somehow we can be a blessing. Yes, there's times that we have to take an emotional pit stop or whatever terminology you want to use. Some, sometimes that we just we have to step out of the game of life for just a little bit in order to recover. But it's not a retirement from the mission. It's grieving and then getting back. It's doing what we need to do to get healthy. It's, it's encouraging others to help us. We get closure, and then we go and we march on. Does that mean that we stop feeling sorrow? Certainly not. Even as we engage in life, there are going to be, there's going, there could be times of having to continue to forgive. There may be times of, of special sorrow, like as the first anniversary of the passing of that loved one. Sometimes holidays are, can be difficult, especially the first. But probably, if it's, they were really close, maybe all of them. But it doesn't keep us from celebrating Christmas, and it doesn't keep us from, from uh, being with the family. We don't allow that, that sorrow to ruin all the other blessings God's given us. That is the difference. Will there, will there be a shadow in the painting? This joyous holiday, sure. There'll be an empty seat at the table. But it doesn't mean that we don't celebrate. You know what it means? It means that we get another opportunity to celebrate that person and all the blessings that they were. And sometimes that celebration is in the form of another lament but one that takes less time. And we more quickly get back engaged with life. And maybe there'll be some more places, some hiccups along the way. I don't even know if hiccup is even really a good word, but, but just another opportunity where we just need to go through a, 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 maybe all six, eight steps. But again, shorter It's important for us to go through these six steps. And I know this is kind of an unusual sermon, probably a little more teachy than preachy. But you know, if we don't talk about it, we don't learn how to do it. And our culture certainly isn't going to. You know what's amazing to me is you can go and you can, if there's a tragedy, if there's a shooting, you know what'll happen? We'll have, we'll have the talking heads talk about it. We'll have the politicians uh, make their big speeches and, and they'll maybe pass legislation and they'll do their studies, but nobody ever sorrows over the loss. Maybe, maybe the newspapers will publish a picture and a name of those that were tragically lost. We did it well, I think, at 9-11 as the names were read and memorials were set up. But why does it take a great big tragedy for us to do that? 
You know, I, as September 11th was coming around, as it was, as it was coming up, you know what I kept seeing is people saying that they missed 9-12. Did you see that? How they mi- You know what's sad? Is a lot of times tragedies are the things that bring us together. And it bothers me that the only time we see some people is at a funeral. That it's only in the midst of tragedy that we ever can get together. And I would just say to us as a, as a church, let's first of all be a place where we can celebrate all the joys in life. Let us laugh together. Let's be a place where... where the good things we're excited to tell, of answers to prayer about missing gas caps. If you weren't here Wednesday, you missed a great testimony, great answer to prayer. Where we can, where we are excited to let our loved ones, the people that we worship with, and the people we're going to heaven with, we can't wait to tell them. Maybe it's not necessarily a testimony, but as we're in the vestibule, we'd say, I just want to tell you this exciting news. Maybe it'd be also a place where we can weep together. Where we can just sit together in silence. And with no one having to fix it, just sit together and go through these process, this process, these six steps to grieve and to grieve well so that we can get back to the mission. Not hurrying through it, not hurrying through it so that just so we can get back to the mission, but to go through these steps well that we might be ready to get back to the mission, to get back to life. Because you know what our Lord said? That he wanted us to have life and more abundantly. Do you know what he, when he told his disciples that? The night he was about to die. Strange time to tell people that they, he wanted them to have life and life more abundant. But he wants us to have it. Say, life's hard, I know. But it's easier when we have people that love us. And we don't have to do it by ourselves. We stand together. Sister Peggy, would you dismiss us in prayer?